Hello and welcome to the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 72. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. Djokovic gets his revenge against Medvedev, defeats him two sets to one in the Paris Masters final. We are also less than four days away from the ATP finals. I will give my prediction for that. In the NFL, week nine was an upset galore from the Jaguars beating the Bills to the Titans defeating the Rams in LA. Monday Night Football showcased once again why the revs in the NFL have been terrible. Tony Carrenti made a terrible decision. We'll touch on that. In the Premier League, Arsenal and West Ham are both in the top five of the Premier League table. Are they for real? Are they a fluke? We'll touch on that. And Aminata Diallo is arrested under the suspicion of putting out an attack on her teammate Kyra Humroy. We'll touch on that. And in the NBA... Nikola Jokic gets a one-game suspension for hitting Markeith Morris in the back. Crazy, crazy stuff. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. Djokovic gets his revenge against Medvedev in the Paris Masters Final. It was an amazing match, entertaining. I woke up, watched it, and Medvedev started out hot. He won the first set 6-4. The announcers were even talking about it. That's the fourth straight set that jo- that Medvedev has defeated Djokovic 6-4, dating back to the U.S. Open final where he beat him 6-4 in all three sets, I believe. And he started off hot, won the first set 6-4, and then Djokovic turned it up a level. Djokovic, one thing I like about Djokovic is he's not scared to try different tactics, to improvise and Medvedev, to his credit, has made Djokovic, you know, go deep into his bag. And But Djokovic's bag is huge, and he was able to pull it out. The serve and volley is not dead. A lot of people think that the serve and volley is the thing of the past. You can't use the serve and, vo- serve and volley anymore. But Djokovic brought it to the forefront on Sunday in the Paris Masters final. He won 19 out of his 22 serve and volley opportunities. He also attempted another 17 times, um, but they were faults. So that means he went, he tried to do a servant volley 39 times. Just ridiculous amount of servant volley, especially in today's day and age. And after winning, I mean, five out of seven is still pretty good, but he won five out of seven in the first set. And in the second set, he won all 12 of them. Just great stuff by Djokovic. It seemed like Medvedev did not have an answer for the servant volley. He kept getting pushed out wide, and there, he couldn't recover. Those servant volleys, they were executed to perfection by Djokovic, so I got to give him a lot of credit. Um, he's the number one player. He's not just set in his ways. A, a lot of people, and not just tennis, but other sports, you know, there's there's a, there's a formula that got you to the top. So if someone challenges you, it, it, it's kind of like your ego, um, you know, your pride gets in the way of adjusting. Like, you, you, you got to number one a certain way and you don't want to switch it up for somebody else but Djokovic he's not like that he switched it up he he acknowledged that you know he was gonna have to try new stuff to beat Medvedev and that credit to Medvedev for pushing Djokovic but also credit to Djokovic for like I said going into his bag and pulling this victory and uh so I respect that from Djokovic number one player and he's still you know trying out different things he's not set in his ways but overall it was a great match let me know what you guys think. I think it was a great match. It's building up a rivalry. Djokovic and Medvedev played three finals in 2021. Djokovic winning in straight sets in the Australian Open. Medvedev winning in the 
in the U.S. Open in straight sets himself. And then now Djokovic gets the Paris Masters finals uh, 2-1. So three finals in 2021, nothing to, you know, nothing to scoff at. We got to take that into consideration. This is a rivalry that's definitely building. Medvedev seems to have taken that uh, that lead from the, from the new guys to challenge the big three, to challenge Djokovic for that number one spot. And Djokovic, uh, when interviewed by, I, I believe, Tennis Channel or Tennis TV, um, they interviewed him afterwards, and they were just talking about the rivalry that he has with Medvedev. And he says that it's a, sa- it's a similar feeling to the rivalry that he has had with Rafa and and Roger. So that's that's a lot of praise for Medvedev, for Djokovic, to, be, to utter those words and put him even in the same breath as those other two guys. So a lot of credit to Medvedev. He's definitely raised his level. And now Djokovic is putting him on par with the other big three. Or at least, you know, the, the similar feeling that he gets, you know, playing a match, having to raise your level, feeling the pressure. So shout out to Medvedev. Great year. But also, you know, just want to give a shout out to Djokovic for coming back from the U.S. Open. He, You know, that, that must have taken a lot of mental strength. And he pulled it out, being down one set and, and pulling out the victory. Just shout out to Djokovic. We are less than four days away from the ATP finals, and I will give my prediction. The field is Djokovic. He's the favorite, number one player. Medvedev, number two player. He should be, obviously, the second favorite. He's in form. Zverev, number three player in the world right now. He's in form. He has finished 2021 in you know, strong fashion too. Tissipa is number four. He's a little bit out of form. He hasn't really been good since um, like around Wimbledon is when he started struggling. Rublev is also out of form. He's been upset a lot the last few, like the last two months. Berrettini, uh, you know, he's, you gotta, you gotta always take into consideration whoever's playing at home. Uh, Being in Milan, I believe in Italy, Berrettini being Italian, he's going to be at home. He's going to have the crowd behind him. The crowd could definitely push you to greater heights. The crowd could really lift you. So you got to take that into consideration. Bertini playing at home. Casper Ruud entered 2021 as a 27th ranked player. He finishes as number eight. Shout out to Ruud. Hercats entered 2021 as the number 34 player. He moved, He finishes as number nine or, you know, still not over, but going into the ATP finals as the ranking. So I think it's a very great, it's a great field. I kind of wanted to see Sinner in there, but it's all it's all good. He's young. He's he's uh he has a lot of years. He has a lot of years to to go through still, and he's definitely gonna be in uh, ATP Finals in the future. But if I were to pick uh, a favorite, I would say Djokovic. Obviously, uh, I picked Medvedev to beat him in the Paris Masters final, and I was wrong. I should have never doubted Djokovic. I'm not gonna do that mistake again. Djokovic. I think he's going to win the ATP finals. Obviously, this is a best of three, so it's easier to upset. But I don't think Medvedev could do it. He has he probably has the greatest chance. I, I would love to see uh, Sverev versus Djokovic semi or final. Uh, I think they have a little rivalry brewing too. Sverev, Sverev has to get a, a victory in there, but I think... Uh, they have a little they could be brewing a little rivalry too. Tsitsipas, he's not in the best form, so I don't expect him to go that far. Rublev, he's not in the best form either, but he did sign my hat. He did take a picture with me at the San Diego Open, so I, you know, Rublev will always have a special place in my heart 
just because he stayed out. Um, security was trying to push him out. Security was trying to tell him to, you know, go back to the player's lounge. And he stuck around. He took pictures with everybody. He made an effort to sign everyone's tennis ball, hats, whatever it was. You name it. Rublev was a man of the people. Um, and I will never forget that. So shout out to Rublev for doing that. You, you got a fan in me for life. So I will be rooting for Rublev as as one of the people to win the ATP finals. I think uh, if he gets his forehands going, uh, Rublev is kind of one dimensional. He's not he's not too well rounded, but if he gets that those forehand goings, he can be very dangerous. So hopefully Rublev um, at least makes it to the final four. Berrettini, like I said, he's playing at home. He has a nasty serve. He has a nasty forehand too. Um, I think he should at least go to the final four. If I was to make a prediction, I don't think the draw is out yet, but if I were to make a prediction, I would say it would be uh, Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, Berrettini, um, last four, final four. And hopefully Rublev could sneak in there and take someone's spot, maybe his fellow Russian Medvedev spot. But I would, I would say Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, and Berrettini would be in the final four. And I realistically can't see any of them beating Djokovic. I think he 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 geared up perfectly at the Paris Masters, won that. Um, you know he had a, a couple players. I, I believe they they didn't play. Monfils, you know, had to have a walkover because he got hurt. So people were like, "Oh, does he even have enough under his legs? Is he in good form?" And he still won the Paris Masters. So because of that, I think he's just gonna continue to you know heat up more get get into a better form and he already won the paris masters i think he's gonna win the atb finals week nine of the nfl brought us a lot of upsets the jaguars pulled a stunner against the bills beat them nine to six maddie ice led the falcons to a victory over the saints 27 to 25 the raiders with all the drama with all the headlines they have in the news they were at five and two, and they lost to the Giants twenty-three to twenty to sixteen. They're now tied with the Chargers, I believe, but the Chargers have the head-to-head, so the Raiders fall to number two in the AFC West. That division is a bloodbath. The Raiders should have won this match. They should, ah, come on, Raiders. Denver, a lot of people had them counted out. They won their first three games, and then they lost their next three games, and now they find themselves at five and four. They upset the Dallas Cowboys, who a lot of people had as the number one team in the NFL. The Browns, after cutting OBJ, beat the Bengals. Just crazy, crazy stuff. In Cincinnati, too, 41-16. Baker Mayfield played great. The running game was there. The Browns just imposed themselves. They're back in the thick of things. The Titans go to L.A., and they beat the Rams 28-16. Matthew Stafford, who a lot of people had as the MVP favorite, basically threw two pick sixes. Uh, it was pretty eerie how similar his interception looked to um, Carson Wentz interception just last week. Trying to prevent a safety, throws it out of desperation, gets intercepted. The only difference is the Carson Wentz interception went back for six and the Matthew Stafford interception just went down to like the three or four yard and then they scored. But not to be outdone, Matthew Stafford, very next drive, throws a pick six himself. And after that, it was just a big hole for the Rams to dig themselves out of. 
But just upset galore in week nine. Another upset, I believe, was the Patriots beating the Panthers in Carolina in McCaffrey's return. I don't really consider that an upset. Sam Darnold has proven who he is. He fooled me. I thought getting away from Adam Gaze, having a new opportunity, having weapons with Carolina, I thought he was going to be able to turn it around. I've seen enough. He's out for four to six weeks with a fracture, I believe. So he won't be playing in the near future. But I think he wasted his opportunity. He had another chance to revitalize his career. He's done. I don't really consider that an upset. I I, I really expected the Patriots to win that. But the most shocking one to me, the Jaguars beating the Bills. What's going on with the Bills offense? Um, They get knocks. They're tight end back, I believe, this week. So hopefully that helps them. But I think... They're just out of sorts. They need to run the ball more. They don't have a run game. Um, Josh Allen needs to stop, you know, turning the ball over. He needs to play cleaner. It's crazy that people were considering uh, Josh Allen in the same level as Patrick Mahomes. But when he has a bad game, he does not nearly get, he doesn't get killed like Mahomes does. So you could see the the disparity in, in them just by the way they get treated when they have bad games. Josh Allen needs to play better. There's no way. There's no reason the Bills should be losing to the Jaguars. The Falcons beating the Saints. That one, upset, yeah, but, you know, they lost They lost Winston for the season. Falcons, you know, it's always dangerous. Matty Ice could get hot for a game. And he drove him down the field. Patrick, um, what's his name? Patterson. Patterson's a beast, man. I have him in fantasy, and he just 10 points guaranteed. Usually goes for 20. Just great, great. Waiver wire pickup of the season, probably. But Falcons, they look like they're getting back on track. I believe they played the Cowboys this week. We'll see how they do. Raiders losing to the Giants, man. The Raiders the Raiders are scared to be great, man. They should realistically be like 6-1, and 7-1 and one right now. They shouldn't have lost to the Bears at home. And there's no reason they should have lost to the Giants this week. Um, Derek Carr has to be better. He didn't have his best game, but also... He needs more weapons. We'll see. I don't know if OBJ has signed uh, anywhere right now, but I believe he hasn't. We'll see if they get him. They are supposed to get Deshaun Jackson um, through waivers or through free agency, so he should help them out. They need speed. They need to give Derek Carr more weapons. And Waller needs to play better, too. He needs to be more of an impact player. Dallas losing to Denver. I did not see that one coming. Uh, Denver 30-16. to 16, They were up 30-0 at one point. Did not see that coming. Dallas winning against Minnesota with their backup quarterback was very impressive and, uh, and gave, you know, the rest of the NFL kind of like a warning shot. Like, okay, you guys see what we're able to do with our backup. Once we get Dak Prescott back, we sh- we're, we're the best team. We're loaded. We have a good defense. We have weapons all over the place on offense. A lot of, I saw a lot of people's power rankings. They had Dallas as the number one team, and they get trashed by Denver. Just ridiculous stuff. The NFL is wild. It's incredible. And the Browns, you know, got to give them credit for showing up. First first game without OBJ, and they showed up. They played Browns football. If they keep playing like that, they'll definitely make the playoffs. And the Titans, they've quietly just beaten all the tough teams in the NFL with the Chiefs, the Bills, the Rams. Line them up. The Titans are here. And uh, you gotta give uh, you gotta give credit to all their coaches for all their players to stepping up. It was cool to see AP get a touchdown, but I think uh, 
I think he he's not going to do too much. He didn't look like he was running that good. That offense really leaned on that defense. Defense basically scoring two two times against the Rams. That was the difference. But upset galore in week nine. The NFL has been crazy this whole season. And I think it culminated with a crazy, crazy week nine. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. We are now officially at the halfway point of the NFL season. And so far, it's been one of the best seasons ever. It's been incredible. It's been amazing. And the standings the standings are a mess. The NFC has like five teams that have a winning record. The AFC has 11 teams that have a, a, a winning record. It's just cre- ridiculous. NFC is top heavy. AFC is a mess. It's it's, it's almost impossible to predict who's going to make the playoffs in the AFC and in the NFC they're just all fighting for that number one spot for positioning just crazy crazy stuff through nine weeks of the NFL has been it's been great I love it and uh week nine was just crazy the NFL refs have to be better we all know that refs their main job is to just call everything down the middle call it right and you know there's this saying that you know, the refs are doing a good job when we don't hear about them, when we don't even know they're there, when, you know, they're just part of the game. We're focused on the players. We're working. We're focused on the professionals. And the refs are just calling plays, staying out of it. But that was not the case with Tony Carranti on Monday Night Football. Bears versus Steelers calls a taunting call on Cassius Marsh, kind of backs up into him. It, it was just the optics were really bad. Um, it looked like... He was trying to, you know, lean into it. Kind of looked like he was trying to get an N one in the NBA, kind of like uh, Trey Young when he goes through a screen and then he sticks out his butt and then he, like last season, they don't call those this season anymore. But he, he was doing his best Trey Young impersonation, going through a screen and then stopping and then, and then trying to draw a foul. Tony Carranti was doing that. Tony um, Cassius Marsh was passing him. He had already, you know, scooted to the left to miss the ref, and the ref kind of fla- flails flails his arm behind him, scoots his, his buttocks behind him, and hits Cassius Marsh. And then he throws a fa- the, the flag for taunting, and, you know, taunting has been a point of emphasis for the NFL this season. I don't know why. They're trying to kill the game. A lot of players have tweeted out um, saying that they don't like it, it's killing the game, it's killing the fun of the game, and I agree with it, like, what are we doing? Like, the NFL is supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be entertaining, and this is not entertaining. We don't want to talk about the revs, and it seems like more and more we're talking about the revs. Yeah, the NFL has been great this season, I just talked about how through nine weeks this has been one of the best seasons ever, but we also got to acknowledge the bad things, and this taunting penalty, this taunting rule is terrible, it's not good for the NFL, Especially when the NFL is an emotional game. Like, you're hitting each other very hard. Tackling each other, even twisting people's legs like Mac Jones um, against the Panthers. But it's it's a very emotional game. I believe way more than the NBA. Yeah, the NBA, you know, you're, you're dunking on each other. And it could be a little physical, but I don't think it compares to the physicality of the NFL. You're, you're literally hitting each other. As hard as you can, it feels like you get ran over by a truck. It's just like very, it's very like prideful. Running someone over, tackling someone, like your your bravada just goes hella up. You're full of energy. Like it's 
I can't even imagine how how much adrenaline these people, this NFL players feel, how much energy they feel, how excited they get once they make a big play, once they make a big tackle, once they run someone over. You're you're just it's hand to hand combat. You're putting your body on somebody else's body. You're imposing your will on somebody else. Like just thinking about it right now, my bravado, my energy is going up. So I can't even imagine making all these plays and not having some sort of reaction, not trying to, you know, release the energy, not trying to calm down. Like, I don't get it. And, you know, I love sports. So I, I go from NFL to basketball to soccer to tennis. I do all this stuff. So I've been watching some NBA. And, you know, the NBA is cool, too. It's not as physical, but I think it's emotional, too, just in the way there's a lot of one-on-one defending you know, you, you want to impose your will on the guy you're defending, trying to get an N1. There's some hard fouls like Jokic and Markeith. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of emotional parts of that NBA, too. And, like, we all see Russell Westbrook just screaming, ah! Or we see someone dunk and just scream and just do all this stuff. And, I mean, there is, there is taunting in the NBA, but they don't call it that much. But just watching the NBA... And seeing players celebrate after a dunk or after they do a great pass or after they do a turnover or get a steal and they celebrate and nothing gets called. And in my head, I'm just like, if that was the NFL, a 15-yard penalty. Oh, my God. That 15-yard penalty. A dunk, celebrate, I'll be like, oh, my God. That's pretty cool I get to do that. In the NFL, that would be a 15-yard penalty. Automatic first down. And it's sad, man. Like, why are the NBA players allowed to show emotion to show you know their their true their true emotions and in the nfl you're not and i think if anyone needs to let out emotions it would be the nfl players they're getting hit they're getting tackled they have grown-ass men landing on them they got grown-ass men tackling them touching them twisting their ankle like i think the nfl players are the ones that deserve I mean, obviously, they both, in my opinion, they both, anybody, all sports should be allowed to, you know, show some emotion. But the NFL should be towards the top because it's just a lot of physicality, a lot of emotions. What I'm trying to get at is that it sucks that the NFL players can't really show emotion. And it sucks that NBA, I mean, NFL refs try to be the star of the game. It reminds me of kind of Joey Crawford in the NBA. I don't know if you guys know. Um kind of short NFL NBA ref used to do a lot of like oh you're a team up and he used to like take over the game and it was kind of annoying at hockey league in the NFL too he was was probably a better ref than Tony Cranty but he liked to take over the game too with his guns but Tony Cranty he tried to be the star of the game and he was terrible penalty against Cassius Marge should have been a fourth down stop and turned into a first down Terrible, terrible. The NBA, the NFL, but I don't think the NFL is going to correct this. They seem to double down on it. They, they stated that it was the correct call, that it was obvious taunting. Who cares if it was taunting, man? No one's complaining about the taunting. Take this taunting rule out. Like, we shouldn't be arguing. Like, like they're kind of trying to swift um, sway the conversation and saying that it was the right call because, you know, the taunting penalty is there and that was taunting, but... There shouldn't even be a taunting rule. Like they should get rid of that. It's it's annoying. It's bad for the sport. It, it gives too, it gives refs more incentive to try to take over the game, to be the star of the game. And we don't watch the games for the refs. We watch the games for the athletes, for our favorite players. For like I've never seen anyone be like, oh my god, Ed Hockley 
is is a referee in that that match. Let's we gotta tune in. Uh, who cares if if Manning and Brady are on CBS? Ed Hockley is refereeing the Fox game. Switch it to Fox. Like no one says that. And this rule gives the refs more power, more of an incentive to take over the game. And who cares about the refs? We don't care about the refs. Pay them more and then find them. Because I do think they should get fined, but I, I've, I think I read somewhere that they don't get paid that much. So it would. I don't want to hurt their money that bad. But if you raise, if you raise how much you pay them, and then you hurt their pockets, then that might be the solution. Because they won't, they won't look at it like, oh, we're getting paid more. If I get fined, uh, who cares? I'll still get. I'm still. Pay, I'm still getting paid almost the same as I was paying. I was getting paid before. They wouldn't look at it like that. They'll be like, oh my god, I'm making more money now. Oh my god, I'm losing money. Like I gotta be better. I gotta be better. That's what I think. Razor pay. They 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 probably deserve more. And then dock them for their mistakes. And I'm guaranteed that they will straighten up. Because once they see that money, they're gonna want to keep it. And if they keep fucking up, they're gonna lose that money. So I think that's a solution. Or I don't know. If someone has better solutions, let me know. But I'm tired of the refs taking over games. I'm tired of this taunting penalty, taunting rule. And all these taunting penalties, we need to get rid of that. Arsenal and West Ham both find themselves in the top five of the Premier League. Arsenal number five, West Ham number three. Are they for reals? Let's analyze it. Arsenal have beaten Watford, Leicester, Aston Villa, and Tottenham in their last few matches. They're unbeaten in their last ten. They play Liverpool next. That's going to be a major, major test. We'll see if Arsenal is built for the long term, if they could actually compete for Champions League spot, possibly even the Premier League. We'll see. Um, that Liverpool match is going to be very important. Obama Yang, he had three clear chances against Watford. He missed the penalty, and then he should have scored on the first touch. He had a bad control. It fell to Saka. He pushed it in, but it was offsides. And then he took a goal away from Odegaard. So Obama Yang, he has to score more. He only has four goals in the Premier League. We need to see more from Aubameyang. If Arsenal really wants to compete for top four, even if they get a result against Liverpool, um, once the international break is over, they need Aubameyang to contribute more. They need to find more goal scorers. Ramsdale, top five keeper in the league right now. He's playing great. I know a lot of people like Leno, but Ramsdale is playing amazing. He deserves to stay as the number one keeper for Arsenal. And he's potentially a top five keeper in the league. He played amazing against Leicester. That was a game where I was like, oh, my God, Ramsdale is a beast. That save that he had on that free kick against Leicester. I forgot who kicked it for, for Leicester, but that was that was ridiculous. Ramsdale going to the corner and stopping that and then getting the rebound against uh, Johnny Evans. Incredible, incredible stuff. Ramsdale's amazing. He, he, he kind of had a blunder against... Um, Watford, that should have, in my opinion, led to a goal for Watford. Their forward couldn't finish that play in the tight corner. But Ramsdale's been good overall in, in throughout the whole season. He's probably been their best or second best player. Smith Rowe is a star. He scored in three straight games in the Premier League. And he's just he just finds balls. He, his last two goals, the one against Watford, the one against Leicester, it was a rebound. He's just in the right position in the right time in the right place at the right time and he just loves curling that ball to the to the bottom right corner smith row um got some flag for getting that number 10 for arsenal so young 
he's really stepping into that jersey. He's really stepping into that number 10 for Arsenal. It looks like they have a star scored in three straight games. So Arsenal look good. They haven't really beaten too many teams. Leicester, you know, they've been in and out this season. They haven't been the best. They haven't been the worst. Uh, they've had some results and then they lose to some lesser teams. So Leicester's been inconsistent. We'll give Arsenal, you know, credit for that one. You still beat Leicester. Aston Villa, you know, they've been all right too. Tottenham, uh, they were in that terrible spell when they beat them. But overall, you know, pretty impressive victories. Watford, they're all the way at the bottom. These are the matches that we kind of thought Arsenal should have been winning. Like I said, this Liverpool matchup after the international break is going to be very, very key. We'll see if they're able to uh, keep it up. I think Arsenal does have, uh, after starting with three straight losses and what it looked like, Arteta was on his way out and he was done and there was no way he was going to keep his job. Um, I think they do have potential to be top four and potentially uh, not not win, not win the league. I think they could even end up as like number two, number three. I don't think they will just sneak in as number four. We'll see how they do against Liverpool. We'll see if they get more transfer in in January. I think that would go a long way. The league, I think all four teams, all the teams at the top need to make some noise in January. But now to West Ham. They've beaten Liverpool. They've beaten Aston Villa. They've beaten Tottenham. They've beaten Everton in their last few matches. They also eliminated Manchester City from the EFL Cup. And Manchester City is the reigning four-time defending champions in that cup. So very impressive. They're top of the Europa League group. So another very impressive stuff. Moyes deserves all the credit. The game against Liverpool was very, very entertaining. Back and forth. Great counterattacking um, display by West Ham. And they, they move over Liverpool to take that number three spot. They're tied with Manchester City with 23 points. Just six goals behind them in goal differential. West Ham. West Ham have looked great. And even last season, even going back to last season, they finished uh, in a Europa League spot. They, they could have finished in the top four spot, but they kind of choked it away at the end. Um, Declan Rice got hurt. Other, other stuff happened, but they could have definitely finished in the Champions League spot last year. And they're right back there. We got to give David Moyes a lot of credit. He seems to have all his players playing top, top football, top, top um, level. And uh, I think I'm more convinced with West Ham than Arsenal. Nothing to take away from Arsenal, but West Ham, uh, this is kind of like a carryover from last year. So they have more data. They have more um, numbers to fall back on. But I think both of them are candidates. And it's crazy that they're both above Man United after all the money Man United, after Man United bringing in Ronaldo. It's crazy that nine weeks in, or not more than nine weeks in, what, 11, 11 match days in, they're above them. So we'll see how they do. Um, I do believe more in West Ham than Arsenal, but very impressed by Arsenal. Arteta more than has more than saved his job. I think, if anything, he's also kind of saved um, Ole Gunnar's job, too, in some weird way. Just the crazy turnaround Arsenal has had. Maybe that's the turnaround that Manchester United is waiting for from Ole, but we'll see. But I do think both of these teams will finish in a Europe spot this year. So top six for both of them. Um, that means either United or Tottenham or not. Because I think Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, West Ham, they're going to all get European spots. We'll see Arsenal probably has a 
likeliest chance to step out. And we'll see if Man United ever turn around. Hopefully my Wolves get into a European spot too. But their squad is kind of thin, so I don't know if that's a good thing. But Premier League has been great too. Arsenal and West Ham are in hot form. They find themselves in the top five positions of the Premier League after 11 match days. What do you guys think? What's their potential for both of these teams? I think for West Ham, it's a Champions League spot. I think for Arsenal, if I'm, uh, I think Arsenal will probably finish in a Europe in a Europa League spot. Crazy story out of Paris: Aminata Diallo is taken into custody with suspicion for her involvement in an attack on her teammate Kyra Hamroy. Um, this happened after a team outing on November fourth. Two masked men pulled Hamroy out of her vehicle and attacked her legs with an iron bar. She had to get stitches for her leg injuries. She also suffered hand injuries. Just crazy, crazy stuff. She missed her next game. And what do you know? Aminata Diallo gets the start for PSG. And, you know, she gets the start. She plays. And now it comes out that, according to reports, this was down. This was done by Diallo to get more playing time as they are both defensive midfielders. They both play for PSG, and they're both French. So they're competing for the same spot in the French national team. Um, just crazy, crazy stuff. I can't believe it. When I saw this, hit up the group chat, my sports group chat. I was like, bro, you guys hear this stuff? It's crazy, crazy stuff. For a teammate to put out an attack on another teammate is just ridiculous. Like You never expect your teammate to do something like that to you. You and your teammates, they, we always talk about, you know, the camaraderie that is built in a locker room, that, that brotherhood, that sisterhood that you feel playing next to another person, being part of the same goal, being part of the same team, trying to achieve goals, trying to you know win championships. It's, it's, it's pretty much unmatched how connected you feel as a team, the relationships you feel you build with others on your team. You, you make some of your best friends. Like, there's a countless stories of people beco- um, becoming friends when they play on the same team and staying f- friends, even after they go to different teams, they make transfers, they get traded, whatever. Whatever sport you play, you just build a friendship. So for a teammate to put out an attack on you, that's some that's some shady stuff right there. That's some crazy stuff. I can't believe that. Obviously, we'll see, we'll see if she is charged. Uh, right now, it's just a suspicion, I believe, but it's not looking good for Aminata Diallo. <laughs> the fact that she plays the same position... The same national team is just crazy. I mean, Ada's 26 and Kyra Hamroy or Hamroy, she's 21. So if she's already starting when she's 21, she might be like, oh my gosh, she's still going to get better. How, when am I ever going to get some playing time? But crazy, crazy stuff. Like, what do you guys thought of this when you guys heard this? I was, I was taken aback. I was like, whoa, like this stuff really happens. And then once I read up on, on it, people, um, people were making the connection to, Harding and Kerrigan in 1994. They're saying Harding, a husband, orchestrated an attack on Nancy Kerrigan before the Olympics. Um, two figure, two um, figure skating uh, athletes, um, Harding and Kerrigan were rivals, and Harding set out an attack for Kerrigan. But thankfully for Kerrigan, she was able to recover before the 1994 Olympics, and she uh, she won silver while Harding. The one that set out the attack finished eighth. And then after that, after the Olympics, Harding was banned by the United States Figure Skating Association. So hopefully something similar happens to Diallo. Um, I don't know how um, 
how much punishment the French law is going to, you know, put on her if she's found guilty. But definitely FIFA or or the French League, the French Women League should put some type of ban on Diallo if she is um, proven guilty for this. And hopefully for Kyra Hamroy or Kyra Hamroy, she's able to get back to the field. She's able to, you know, take back that starting position for PSG. And, uh, you know, I wish her the best. Hopefully she's okay. Getting hit in your legs, your money makers as a soccer player, getting hit in your money makers with the metal bar that... I must be very painful. I'm sure she she probably needs some counseling too. She needs some uh some of that Ted Lasso sports counseling um, because that must be kind of traumatizing. Getting pulled out of the car, getting attacked by two men in ski masks. That's that sounds scary. So I wish her the best. Hopefully she recovers. And for Diallo, you know, if you did it, you fucked up. You got caught, and you got to pay the consequences. Nikola Jokic gets a one-game suspension for his hit on Markeith Morris when the Nuggets played the Heat. I'm glad Markeith Morris is okay. Uh, when that happened, you know, they even brought out the stretcher. He was down on the floor for a while. It looked pretty bad. At first, I was like, okay, like, whatever. Like, he got hit. He's a grown man. Markeith Morris is known for being tough, being being a guy that, you know, sets the tempo, backs up his players when they whenever they get fouled, sets the tone, fouls. Fouls the opposing players hard. You know, they're known for that. The Morris students are known for that. So I, I thought he was going to get up when Jokic hit him in the back. But he stayed down in the in the ground for a while on the floor. And they even brought out the stretcher. And I was like, whoa, is he going to be a good? But thankfully, he was able to get up. He walked out with his own, under his own power. Um, so I was happy that happened. But, you know, back to the incident. Marquise Morris, you know. He definitely wasn't just an innocent bystander. He definitely incited Jokic. He he pushed him. He hit him on the knees. He kind of hit him with the elbow on the neck. So because of that, he also got fined. He got fined, I believe, like $50,000 or something like that. So, you know, he's he's no saint. He's no angel. He, he got his punishment too. But Nikola Jokic, dude, you're the MVP. You're the reigning MVP. Like, this is a bad look. There's no way... As the MVP, you should be doing this. Um, people are already hating on you for being, like, the worst MVP ever. I don't think that's the truth. You had an amazing season. You deserved it. Kudos to you. But people are already saying that there's people out there that are saying you're you're the worst MVP ever. You, you know, you're, you're not what a typical MVP looks like. You know, you kinda, you're not in the best shape. You're, you play some unorthodox basketball at some point. So, and then... In the playoffs, you didn't have your best performance. You didn't, you know, carry the Nuggets. You kind of, you know, flailed out against the Suns. And in the closeout game, you got thrown out because you threw, you did a hard foul on Cameron Payne, and you kind of caught his face. And you know, they're already they're, that was already a bad look for you. I remember in the playoffs, they were like, you can't throw out the MVP, but they did, and that you know that looks bad on you as the MVP. Like, can't be doing that. And now you do this. It's like, come on, man. You're the MVP. Like, you're, whole, you're held to a higher standard as the MVP. You represent the league. You're supposed to be the best player. You're supposed to always be available for your team. And you've lost your cool. And maybe that's just the way you are, you know. Those those Europeans close to uh, Russia. I think uh, Jokic is, what, Serbian? Well, he's, he's around that area. 
So he might have a temper or something, but I think Jokic just needs to calm down. He needs to understand that he's the best player on his team by far. He's the reigning MVP. And it's a bad look. It's a bad look for him. It's bad optics. Probably going to, you know, cost him some endorsement deals if, if people don't want to, you know, be associated with a player that gets thrown out in the playoffs that pushes a guy in the back. But overall, I don't think Jacola Jokic cares too much about endorsements and all that stuff. He just loves basketball. So, And it's about respect. Morris did have it coming. He's had it coming for a while. He's kind of known as a dirty physical player in the NBA. So, like I said, he's no saint. But things are kind of heating up off the court. The Jokic brothers have kind of tweeted at the Morris brothers. And they bought tickets for their next game against for the next game from the Nuggets and the Heat. So we got to see. We got to see what happens. Hopefully nothing happens, but definitely something to keep an eye out. Um, if the Jokic brothers are in the attendance when the Heat play the Nuggets again, we'll see if anything happens. And we'll see. Uh, obviously, the his Morris brother, uh, Marcus, he won't be able to be there because he has that responsibility to play with the Clippers. But overall, just a crazy story. Just crazy, crazy stuff. MVP of the league gets suspended for hitting someone in the back. But by no means is this the same as Beverly. What Patrick Beverly did to um, CP3 in the playoffs, I think that's, that's it's two different things. Jokic was kind of, you know, hit too. Marquise Morris kind of hit Jokic, hit him in the throat, hit him in the knee. You know, he, it's more justified, in my opinion. Obviously, you never want to hit someone in the back, hit them face-to-face or on the side or whatever. Don't hit them in the back. But I don't think it's the same. You can't equate it to what Beverly did to CP3. If anything, CP3 was just being verbal. He wasn't being physical with Beverly. Beverly, who's also a very verbal person, couldn't take it and retaliated by pushing him in the back. Marquise was actually got kind of physical with Jokic, so it's not the same thing. But like I said, this is not a good look for Jokic because for people to be making that comparison, me, myself, making that comparison, trying to say that it's not the same thing. Like, you don't want to be in the same sentence or in the same space as Beverly. Like, you're the MVP and Beverly's a role player, a journeyman. Like Just the fact that you're being compared or being put in the same sentence should be a reflection as the MVP of the league. Like, okay, I don't want this on me. But that's all I have to say for Jokic. He he doesn't need my advice. I'm just, you know, talking. But that's it for this episode of the Hearts to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 72. Thank you so much for staying to the end and stay tuned for more. Like I said, we're less than four days away from the ATP finals. It's gonna be some great tennis. Make sure to tune into that. Week 10 of the NFL and support your national teams now that we're in international break. Have a great rest of your day. 